It's been over 25 years since Kurt and company entered our collective heart-shaped box. But is Nirvana still worth celebrating, or has the smell of teen spirit gone stale? Next, on Over Under Fair. I bet that you can start the show. What the fuck? <laughs> well, I didn't hear the music. I thought you were just telling me to fucking... You didn't tell me that. Welcome to another edition of Over Under Fair. I am your host, Dave Roldan. Uh, with me, as always, the beautiful people, Lacey McGraw. Hey! Jason Pinkham. From, from way, way up, up north in Redford. Redford. Yeah, and uh, the Brown Mound of Sound, Roger Castillo. Hi. <laughs> Alright, so, we're, we're, we're doing an episode. It's, it's the holiday season. Uh, I'll just go ahead and peek behind the curtain. We're recording this after Christmas. I hope everybody had a lovely holiday. <clears throat> um... We're doing this a, a little different than normal, so we apologize if it doesn't sound as cohesive. We're not all in the same room, but we still have the spirit of love in our hearts and the spirit of debate in our souls. So let's let's uh, let's get down to it. I should I do just want to point out at the peak behind the curtain that Dave, Roger, and I are not only in the same room. But we are literally within jack-off distance of each other. We are piled on top of each other in the tiniest little room. And then Jason's nice and comfortable in his own home, and his head is a box. It's probably a good thing my largeness isn't filling up the remains of that room. If you were here, this would be fucked up. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> we would literally have to stack on top of each other. I would other. literally be on this table, like, in a... So let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I would just call you Max Hedrum for a segue. So before we jump in, we'll uh, we'll jump, jump. I keep saying jump. Before we jump just into jump. the show, we'll uh, you know what we do here. We're gonna we can take a topic. We're gonna debate whether or not we think that topic is uh, overrated, underrated, or you know properly rated in the pantheon of pop culture ratedness as determined by ourselves. So you know if you don't think that that should be the thing, then that's what we have social media for. Find us on Facebook at Over Under Fair. Uh, email us at overunderfairpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Over Under Fair for your feedback and questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, today, we will be talking about Nirvana, a band that we all have heard, at least in our lifetime. Some of us have stronger ties than others, I'm sure. Uh, so to get that, we'll go ahead and we'll gauge the room here. Uh, Jason, we'll start with you. What uh? What kind of what kind of Nirvana feelings do you have? So I kind of just viewed it as overrated, and I was tired of hearing it. By the time I got to a point where I could appreciate them, entirely overrated. Like there was no merit in anything they did at all. It was one of those things where it's like, it's kind of like the Who and the Rolling Stones, where I know that objectively they're good, and if I was able to comprehend in a way that, like, if that had hit me when I was young enough to get it, I would probably get it. But because I didn't, I just view it as kind of boring. It was, so it was in a sense that, like, almost like what people say about the Beatles at this point, <laughs> and it, it feels like it's 
almost like the Beatles at this point for you then, it, because Nirvana really didn't have like there was no kind of emotional attachment to any type of song or anything at all by the time you got to start listening to them at all. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things where I I think that it was it was it was on 89X so much growing up, which is our local alternative station that. It just became wallpaper. I never got the chance to actually identify with it or have it strike any emotional resonance. And that doesn't make it part and parcel bad, though. I mean, can you, in 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 the in the time that's passed since then, when it would have been you would have been a child, there's been no part of you that's been like, oh, you know, Nirvana actually they did some good stuff. <laughs> well, no, I definitely enjoy songs. I mean, there's there's songs that that I enjoy on a musical level. Uh, specifically, uh, Floyd the Barber is one of my favorite songs and always will be. I really enjoy that song because it was the first song I ever learned how to drum. But uh, I, I, I'm not saying they're bad. I just say that, you know, to me and what I view as their quote unquote impact, I would say they're overrated because what they created was, I mean, if we're being fair, they created what is now a horrible genre that, you know, has such artists as Seether and Puddle of Mud and Nickelback. And default. Yeah, but you can't you can't put the onus on one band for spawning things that aren't good. I mean, that's that's true for tons of rock bands. Led Zeppelin never meant to make shitty rock bands, but shitty rock bands exist, and they all love Led Zeppelin. I mean, it happens, you know. I, I understand that to an extent, but I I guess <laughs> I guess if I'm being fair in my mind, none of it has been as bad as what Nirvana is responsible for in my head. But Nirvana, the band, can't hold the, the brunt of all of this blame. Let's, let's switch it over to Lacey for a second. Okay. Lacey, Lacey, say something nice about Nirvana. I think Nirvana <laughs> is overrated. That's fair. <laughs> but why? Um, I just think... Um, see, I str- okay, I've, I floated between fairly rated and overrated because I... Love Nirvana back in the day. I listened to them a lot, you know. I not so much when they were at the height of popularity as after because I was a little young for that then. But I got way into them. I listened to a lot of their music and I enjoyed it a lot. But I think if you if I listen to their music now, it just doesn't. It hasn't aged well to me. It hasn't followed me into my thirties with. You know, I don't love it as much as I did back then, and I kind of feel like they were they were timed well. So they they rose to popularity at a time where you know, and this is one of the things that I think gets touched on heavily when you when you talk about Nirvana is it was coming off the whole hair metal scene, you know, a lot a lot of the stuff in the eighties that you know was. 80s pop music and things that were popular in the 80s was kind of, you know, it was wildly different than what Nirvana was making. And they came around and they were this like bare bones rock and roll band, you know, and they were, they were kind of in your face and they were, they were not, they were not polished in any way, shape or form. And, you know, they rose to popularity that way because people needed to hear that. And I think that's great. I, I, I do like Nirvana, but I think when people people talk about them, like they're one of the greatest rock bands of all time, and I think if I actually just listen to their music and listen to their records, th- that to me is just not it's just not true. I just don't I don't think their music has aged well over time. I think it it's it's good, but it's not great. And I I uh, 
I actually think completely different. Uh, the aging thing was something that I definitely agreed with for a while. Like it, it became at a point like, kind of when people say the Beatles are overrated or whoever's overrated. Like it's just it's something you say. Because Nirvana was a band that I loved. Uh, it was like one of the first bands that was like my band. You mm-hmm. know, like in in my time. Yeah. And uh, I I had a little bit of pushback in that. Like heading into the early thousands when rock was all terrible. I'm like, oh well, Nirvana's not that great. And you know, look at everything that happened because everybody loved Nirvana so much. Like this. Nirvana's okay, I guess. But then, having some more time away from it and going back and listening to all this again, I think Nirvana's critically underrated for what they've managed to accomplish in the small amount of time they did and the legacy they've left on rock music. Because it's not just, you know, the the portrayal that they have, you know, through the early 90s as, like, the harbingers of the end of pop music and the death of hair metal. Like, those yeah. those were labels that got attached to them, fairly or unfairly, but... They were they were given to them by people that weren't Nirvana because Nirvana was a rock band, yeah. and that was what that was what they set out to accomplish, and that's kind of what I want to uncover today. This is this will be less a biography of the people involved. We all know, and we all have our own feelings about what happened to individual members of the band, you know. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to focus on the music, and I want to you know I want to state the case plainly for Nirvana being underappreciated now. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I think they're fairly too underrated in the sense that. You know, it is unfair. It is unfair to put them as they're the beginnings of the harbinger of the Seether and all that stuff. In reality, Seether came ten years after Nirvana came out in '94 or last album in 1994. Um, I also don't. Uh, again, there was a lot of you come from the '80s. You come up with the processed um, hair metal, all that stuff that was coming out, and. Do you think Kurt Cobain really wanted to have be like the new like he didn't like the fame he didn't like the hand like if I take that aside if I take the musical part of it aside if you look at in utero they're un and they're unplugged stuff the stuff is still to me to this day very good no it's great it's great it's great and the thing is too they were musicians and they you know as much as people talk about how well you know they uh you know Bush Veg and his producing skills blah blah blah. But they knew how to play their instruments. David Grohl was an excellent drummer. Kurt Novacek was pretty good on bass. And Kurt Cobain wrote his songs, and they brought back a craft that was long gone per- since the early 80s. Which right, is so rock musicians writing rock songs that right. were, you know, introspective and also rock songs. Like, they rocked. You know, oh, yeah. He, and he could do both. He could do both. And that's that. That's something that's kind of unheralded. Right. And, and you know, it, it is cynical in the sense that time, like, you know, the 90s came back and the 70s, mute like... The Black Crows, all that stuff came back in that form. So I understand that the whole timing of it all, and Lacey's point is very good. That no, it's is valid. It was definitely like yeah, timing in a bottle. It was well timed. Right. But I mean, at the same token, their music was good. I mean, they they didn't really like. You look at how. Never mind. Like just that whole. It was like ninety one. Overseed Michael Jackson, and people think is some sort of pro like prophecy towards it. I'm like, it's just ridiculous. I mean, good music can stand out. On its own merit. Lacey? I just, I mean, yeah. And <clears throat> I, I I, go back and listen to Nirvana, and <clears throat> I don't think it's bad. I don't listen to it and go, ugh, this is terrible. But it just doesn't, it's, it's one of those things where there's a few songs that I could pick out where I'm like, oh, yeah, these are, these are good tunes. You know, I could still listen to them. But, like, to me, it's just, I'm, I feel like it doesn't fit well for me anymore 
Like, I can't just put it put on Nirvana and be like, oh, man, I haven't heard this record in a long time. Like, when I was preparing to do this show and I was listen- I was trying to listen to it a lot, a lot of Nirvana, in many cases, I actually had to, like, force myself to get through these albums because... And maybe... And obviously, this is just a personal opinion because I just think it went stale for me. Yeah, I mean, it's tastes change. It's stale it, for me. It's not, you know? it's not an indictment on you if you don't right. want to listen to Nirvana anymore. But, you know, like I said, and I mean, I think they did a lot for... Um, for rock music and I think they did have a big influence and whether or not they influenced for every band that they influenced that's bullshit like Seether and all of those you know rock bands that are just kind of of mud and you know diluted watered down bullshit I think they also probably influenced like some bands that I really liked, you know, and I can't hate on them for that. Like the timing was well done and I don't I do I just think Nirvana gets when when I hear people talk about Nirvana, I just think that my general consensus is that they are a little more highly spoken of <clears throat> than I feel that they should be. You know, yeah. so that that's why I would call them overrated. I don't think they're overrated because their music actually sucks, because I don't think it does. I just think they're a little overrated in the way that they're discussed now in modern times. So that's kind of my general consensus on it, but, you know. Jason? Well, I want to add to this, because there's a couple things you said there that I really want to harp or, uh, agree with, and, and also I want to add something else, too. The one thing for me that I found to be led me leap uh, sorry led me to the path of overrated was because when Kurt was interviewed during the time he was alive about what his songs meant to him and stuff he was often quoted as saying it was just gibberish it was often times where he would just throw random pieces of poetry into his songs and I think that the reason I'm inclined to say they're overrated is because of that because it's not it's not like he had something that he really had to say in my head it seems I, to I, me like it was I like, don't know if that's he, fair though man I mean like that Part of that's coming from the angle of him not wanting to deal with media, because there's other times when he's interviewed and on record as saying that the songs that he's made in specific times he doesn't he doesn't identify identify with a couple of years on. But he was very much looking forward to creating more, you know, of the music that he wanted to make. He just felt that the music he was currently making was being made for someone else, not himself. And that's I don't think it's he thought the music was bad, his own music. He just wasn't interested in, in doing it as much because there was way more artistic stuff bubbling under the surface and he was being kind of forced along by record companies to make the music that was selling. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I just, I guess I see it differently. I think that, because I, I saw an interview, and my research for the show was more focused on the way they felt about their music because I've heard all the albums a thousand times over I mean, it's it just it's ingrained in my head whether I like it or not. Um, but it, one of the things she said, and I, I really want to th- get to the point on, is that she said they're they're heralded more than, and, and I want to finish that sentence in my head. They're contemporaries because when you hear people talk about Nirvana in that era, the grunge era, you don't hear them talk about Soundgarden, Alice in Chains with as much like reverence as you do hear them talk about nirvana because nirvana was better than those bands i mean see i just they were though i mean like this obviously this personal preference but i think part of the reason nirvana gets the staying power it does is less focused on the fact that kurt cobain killed himself and more focused on the fact that the music actually is better it holds up 
Kurt Cobain created <clears throat> pop rock songcraft. Like, it, it doesn't stand out as pop music because it's not, you know, jangly and it doesn't have a synthesizer, but they're very presentable pop songs, like Beatles-esque pop songs that just had a harder bent at the end of things. And who is he? He was definitely influenced by Yeah, he was a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. Like, and then, that, that comes through, you know, about a girl... Could have been a Beatles song, like yeah, it, no, it is. You know what I mean? Like there's, and these are songs. That's one of the first songs he wrote and released. You know, that's on Bleach. Like it's, it's no, it's no surprise that Kurt would be such a big fan of pop stuff. You know that it would show up in his music, and it did often, and to the, to the lasting you know benefit of the band. I think that's that's a mark that they don't get enough credit for. But we're see, I was go ahead. I was like, oh, finish your point, my bad. Well, I, I wasn't even gonna say it was because of his suicide. I was gonna say that they get revered more because they never got the chance to make a bad album. But I mean, that's any, partially one true. Bands, any one of those bands, you could pick three albums out that are great. Any one of those four, three or four bands, you could pick out three albums that are fantastic and if not on level, close to on level with the three that Nirvana released. Um, but they I'm were able sorry. to make more. <laughs> All right. I mean, agree to disagree. I don't, I don't think Soundgarden ever made an album near as good as In Utero, but that's my personal opinion. So different opinions. Yeah, right. Well, that's what it's about, right? So before we start Absolutely. just arguing in circles, let's uh, let's touch a little bit on the actual music. Uh, we'll jump through the timeline real quick, and we'll kind of spout spout out some stuff. Feel you know wherever it strikes you. Uh, Jason brings up Floyd the Barber, which is where we will start with Bleach, uh, Nirvana's first more or less official release on the Sub Pop label. Um, this is kind of the lurking Seattle sound, quote unquote, that would then come to define the next five or six years of music, popular rock music. Uh, Bleach is kind of underappreciated. I There's a lot of great stuff on there. As I said, About a Girl is one of my favorite songs ever, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great track that's on there. Uh, a lot of the songs are really dark, and they're kind of bleak. They were from a weird, a weird place. Kurt would go on to say that album, he kind of hated it. He claimed to have written most of the lyrics... Uh, to the album the night before they recorded it. The recording session was very brief, and, you know, they just kind of got it out to get it out, you know, to get, get the imprint going. But it's telling that they would still continue to play a lot of those songs going forward, like in live shows, you know, like, uh, like, like I said, About a Girl and Negative Creep, Love Buzz. Like, those were songs that they would then continue to play going forward. So if he hated it that much, he wouldn't have kept going back to it. So, I, I again, this is kind of part and parcel in like a in a bob dylan kind of way of being effusive with what you say and then what you do like kurt wasn't giving too much away when he talked to press and people because he really didn't want to be bothered by it so you can only take you can only take him at his word so much you know but uh anybody anybody got some things to say about bleach um i actually want to mention something really quick that you you, you touched on there it's funny you bring up bob dylan because bob dylan is, <laughs> is it is it funny that no. i would bring up bob dylan yeah, well, yeah, but it's funny because that's the type of songwriter that I would prefer to idolize, because he would he would do both. He would do social commentary and then write songs from his perspective, as you, I'm sure you can elaborate on for hours if we. I can, you. and if you ask Bob Dylan, he never wrote social commentary songs. He he just wrote he just wrote speaking songs. Bob Dylan wasn't trying to be the voice of a generation any more than Kurt Cobain was. Bob Dylan's own words. Kurt Cobain was trying to get popular, I think. So was Bob Dylan. <laughs> like, as a musician, that's what you do. You want the most amount of people that can hear your music to hear your music. Like, there's, there's no shame in getting your music spread out to an audience. You have to start somewhere. And, you know, if it takes you releasing an album, 
you know, on a really small label and not loving the songs you release, but you just got to get something out there to get your name out. That's what you got to do. That's that's the biz. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I cut you off, Lacey. No, that's fine. Ble- I mean, I was just gonna say, Bleach is. If I if I ranked like my love of Nirvana albums, Bleach would definitely come in second. Um, second only to In Utero, but um, this is a record that when I when I finally got around to getting a copy of it and listening to it i i loved it a lot and it was it was different to me because my first exposure to nirvana was uh of course uh never mind i had never mind and then i went back and got bleach and i thought to myself well this is so different and it's so stripped down and that's funny because it's not as if Nevermind is any sort of like big showy record. But, by comparison, though, but we'll, by comparison, we'll talk about it when we yeah. get to it. But by comparison, it is stark the difference. Yeah, it is a very stark difference. And yeah, I just I really like this record. I do. I love about a girl. That's again. This is, I had heard about a girl because I had heard like the unplugged version of mm, it. Yeah. But this was my first time hearing like the original like track from Bleach when I got it. You know, I had heard I had heard the unplugged version first and. I loved it, you know. I love the song "Blue" is a great song. Love a Buzz, great song. Love Buzz is one of my favorite songs on there. I remember, like, I learned how to play that little bass lick on my bass when I was like, you know, a weird thirteen-year-old girl. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I dig this record a lot, and I think, I, I mean, how many people would you say like did this did this record reach? before Nevermind. Initially, uh, probably like a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, it I was mean, a very small stakes affair. They recorded for like 600 bucks, yeah. notoriously. It certainly like, wasn't like anybody, like a lot, very many no, people. No, it, it benefited from them. Yeah, it benefited yeah. from them becoming popular yeah, and then people, people rediscovering, rediscovering it. Rediscovered it, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it would have been interesting to be introduced to Nirvana in this way, but I, that's just not a lot of people's experience. And I think that works against them too. Like that's, I think that's another part of the reason that it, it goes into the uh, overrated column when, when talking about them, because the, I mean, if we're being honest, all of us were first introduced to like smells like teen spirit. We weren't, I mean, I can speak for myself. I wasn't a cool enough nine-year-old to be having right. sub-pop tapes delivered to my house. Yeah. So, you know, the first time I heard Nirvana was on the radio. It was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. That's that's just how it went. So if the first part of your mind is them being the most gigantic rock band in the world, and then you hear this, like, years later, well, you could totally get that sense of, like, a conflated popularity. Like, oh, well, Nirvana's everywhere. They're huge. I don't like Nirvana that much. But there was a completely different band lurking under there that, yeah. you know, was creeping, you know, around on a darker edge with more introspective songs and a little bit more aggressiveness. Like, that. a lot of that gets taken away from Nevermind. But we'll we'll cover Nevermind in a minute. Roger, do you have anything you want to say about that? I really didn't listen to Bleach until after, way after I got out of high school. Um... So for me, my experience with Bleach was different, uh, almost similar to what you guys had. I was introduced to Inter- Nevermind um, shortly after it came out, um, and then I got an unplugged, and then all the other stuff like insecticide, insecticide um, th- those kind of the, the, I you know I had never even heard of Bleach until I heard about it in high school, but I never could pick up a copy of it. It was hard to find, and then General State it just came out on CD, and I've listened to it and. But it was something that I didn't recognize. I mean, it didn't sound like anything that was what I was used to. So for me, 
Bleach came out later on, and, and already my impression was made by Nirvana, so it could, like, oh, just more new, like, quote-unquote to me, new Nirvana. Right. Jason? Bleach is actually the only album that I was able to get through easily, specifically because of, like, <clears throat> you know, my my first, uh, like, exposure to the band on a bigger level beyond radio cuts was uh, through a, a former friend of mine, Dane, who we would go to his house and... You know, we'd practice. We would just play music, and we started by playing Floyd the Barber. And Floyd the Barber always has a soft spot in my heart for that exact reason, because I think back to 2003 and in the summer and banging on drums for the first time and how fun that was. And you know, it 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 is, in my opinion, obviously. I mean, it's the best of the three to me, and I then that's subjective as hell, because I know that it's you know produced the worst and it's put together quickly and it you know. It was literally just kind of musically vomited out, but that I think is why I view it as its best, as their best work, because it is the most, the closest you'd get to pure. See, and that's that's something I'll I'll get to touch on in a few minutes, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. Um, uh, so you know, Nevermind happens. It is like literally the biggest thing that's ever happened in rock music up to this point. I mean, you know, if we're being fair, it's a complete cultural paradigm shift, like. There's nothing like that that had happened in a number of years for, you know, Michael Jackson to be kicked out of the number one spot by a trio of scruffy-ass dudes from Seattle. Like, that's not something anybody could have predicted would be to happen. Uh, It was a huge deal. I was, you know, an impressionable enough kid that I became kind of enamored of that. Like, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan, but I wanted to know what this Nirvana was all about. So, you know, I got way, way into Nevermind when I first got it. It was... A huge, huge moment for me as a developing musical fiend, and uh, I never really, never really lost touch with that. There's, I've had a lot in the years since, you know. Like I'm, I'm old now. I kind of just like girls or techno. <laughs> like, if, you know, I want to hear like Jewel or maybe like Joni Mitchell and maybe Daft Punk. Like my, my taste have veered a little further away from harder, edgier stuff, but. Nirvana informed my listening for a number of years afterwards, and I've never really lost sight of that. I still, at the end of the day, if I'm going to listen to something, it'll probably be some guitars, and it'll probably be some, you know, some something on the level of something like that. Like, Nirvana's a band I return to constantly, and it all starts with Nevermind. It's a huge album. It's, its importance can't be understated, and I know that that makes them overrated in a way to talk about albums like that. Like, that's something that a lot of bands have to deal with, and that's... That's just the that's just the truth of it. Like overrated or underrated, the album still was a huge cultural milestone and you know, it needs to be it needs to be observed that way. I definitely think that that record <clears throat> I mean, if, when you go back and listen to it, it definitely because I also had it like right around the time it came out. Like it probably wasn't like I definitely didn't I was, let's see, what year did that come out? 93? 91. 91? Oh, yeah. So I was six yeah. when it came out. But I had the tape um, shortly after um, shortly after it was released. And I remember, like, I, I loved that record. And, yes, it <clears throat> Nirvana was one of those bands where they gained popularity. And I could see them on TV and hear them on the radio almost any time I wanted and it was right around the time that I was starting to kind of discover <clears throat> what <throat> I liked and what I was into and you know yeah I think I think 
I can agree and say that I feel the same way when they when I you say they informed your listening preferences for a number of years, but I just keep I just don't go back to Nevermind with the same like wistfulness as I had back then. <clears throat> I don't either now personally. <clears throat> like it's Nevermind is the last thing I'll listen to if I'm going to be given a chance to listen to Nirvana, yeah. but that's that's less because less because I don't think it's great and more because. I listened to it so much when I had it that now it's like, oh, well, I've heard, I've heard Come As You Are enough times. I've heard yeah. that version of Come As You Are enough times. Like, I, I dig all the songs on that album, you know, in, in ways, but most of them I would prefer hearing live in versions coming forward because the biggest setback to this album, and Jason, I'll let you speak on this in a second, the biggest setback you can say about Nevermind now, if you, you know, we extrapolate all this forward, is that the sound of Nevermind is largely based on the production uh, of the album by Butch Vig of Garbage Fame and other producing things. And uh, it's really, really bad. Like, it's spare, and it's kind of tinny. Like, the, the dynamism of a band like Nirvana comes through in live shows and comes through in other albums that follow it, but Nevermind just kind of sounds flat. Like, when you when you hear it now and you compare it to the live things that we have on record and other performances of stuff they do on shows that they did the circuit of like, man, every other version you'll ever hear of smells like teen spirit sounds better than the one you heard on Nevermind. Like partially because they were playing it so fast to get through with it. Cause they hated playing it. Say, it certainly <laughs> sounds faster. Yeah. It certainly sounds faster. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yep. And it's, and it, <laughs> it's, that thing. Oh, go ahead. My bad. No, it was. It, 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 see, this is where I get into why I come from overrated because I think that the purpose of this show in my head is to do things from social relevance now, and this is why I say they're overrated is going to this album because this is the album that was referred to me to get into them. And again, I got into rock super late, so like we're talking oh one oh two, which is way late compared to you guys, and I know that. But because of that, I got into them at a time where it was like. <sighs> My standards were garbage. Like, the music I like, the music that I'm drawn to is objectively trash. So it's because of that that I look at stuff like this and I'm like, man, I just, I can't, I can't hear this not enough. I can't, I, I, I can't hear it. I can't have no patience for it because every, the first six songs were on 89X every day, at least twice for each song and four times for Smells Like Teen Spirit and three times for Come As You Are. Right. I mean... I, this is a point. This album is a point where this album is now is why I have such distaste for this band. If I, if I, you know, if I might say that because it's it's because now it's to the point where it's like you know you know there's better music out there as somebody who's do, do, uh, dove dived into this band a little bit. Yeah. But you, this is the one that gets played. But I don't discount so, the songs on here, and that's that's my biggest issue with trying to rate this band. Is that the the content of the songs like extended out of this album is pretty great? You know, "Come as You Are" is an excellent song. "Lithium" is an excellent song. "Polly" is an excellent song. Like all of these songs are actually excellent songs, and they're just they have the misfortune of being slapdashed together into a recording session that stripped the the most essential elements from the sound. You know, and that's that's doing a disservice to the band's legacy. That's a part of the reason that. I think they're underrated is because 
if this was your first exposure, if someone told you that this is what you should listen to, they did you a huge disservice. Like, because you could have heard all of this album, like you said, on 89X any given day of the week, now and then. And that's that's too bad because the rest of their music is far superb to what this sounds like. But that doesn't mean these songs are bad because there are great versions of every one of these songs elsewhere to be found. Like, there really are. Yeah. No, but if, I- band, if a band is underrated, I shouldn't have to go searching. That, but you don't have to search. They're there to be found. The Muddy, Muddy Banks of the Wishkaw is a live album that has most of this album on there live. It's a, it was a wide release. It, you know, it was completely available. The unplugged versions of the songs that appear on Unplugged, widely available. I'm sure you've heard those. Their talk show appearances, the minimal ones they did, they were better versions. Like, any version you heard of this, aside from the versions that were released, are better. You know, the box set that was widely available. Like, all these all these things that you could easily find. You're not searching for it. It's there. So, because this started with this being brought to you by somebody else. It's their fault they did that. But it's not, you know, it's not your fault if you don't like it. But it's also, you know, it's also not Nirvana's fault if this is the only thing you heard. Because there's, there's much better versions of all of these songs. Because the songs are still great. And that's why I think they're underrated. Lacey, I cut you off again. I apologize. No, I'm just, I mean, I can, that's a really good point that, yes, this, when you listen to Nevermind, every track I could listen to on there, there's never a point where I stop and say, well, this is my favorite version of this song, because it's not. I mean, just my favorite version of About a Girl is not the unplugged version. It's the version on Bleach. I just like it better. But there's never a point where I listen to Nevermind and I think to myself, well, this is my favorite version of, you know, this, this track. It's not. No, it is kind of a it's kind of a flat watered down recording. I mean, it's a studio album and a band like Nirvana didn't they weren't they weren't a band that did studio albums. They were a, they weren't a band that was built for studio albums. They, they were, certainly yeah. They, they, they were a band that was that was built for they were a, they were a fucking garage band, you know what I mean? Absolutely. They 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 made and that's why I think Bleach was one of my favorite records because it sounds it, it it almost sounds like it's being recorded in a garage, you know? It's so like stripped down and raw and bare that you can just it's you could definitely just tell that they went in there and they played it and that was it. And that is what Nirvana was meant to do. You know, um I can't imagine a band like Nirvana like going into a into a recording booth and doing one take, two take, three take, you know, right. until we get it right. And that's what this is. That's yeah, that's why that's, this album sounds the way it what sounds. what Nirvana is. Or, I'm sorry, what Nevermind is. And you know, again, I I'm still in the I'm still in the overrated category here, but I do have to agree that like some and I and I get what you're saying, Jason, because I can't I just can't imagine that having going and listening listening to a whole record when you've heard damn near every you know popular track off it a million times so much so that it's played out but you're just going in there to hear what the deep cuts i don't know i i i can't imagine that because i my exposure to it wasn't that like i heard i there was a point in time where i knew every breath that was going to be taken on that i knew i knew when the tracks were going to start i knew when they were going to switch over i knew every every pop and crackle and, you know, everything on that record because I listened to it so much in tape form when I first got it and then I listened to it in CD form. And that goes for, I mean, all that goes for Bleach, In Utero, Unplugged, and Nevermind. But 
I mean, I think to say that if you have to go searching for better versions, then that what that's what makes them overrated, then I think that's just a little bit unfair. Not so much so because I get what you're saying and and, and I could see your point, but that one album, while it does define Nirvana to so many people, it shouldn't define Nirvana. Does that make sense? It does, but I think it, it kind of, uh, in my head, adds to my point where, where, you know, you listen to the Beatles' White Album or Metallica's Black Album, face value the way it is, and they're flawless. They are perfect the way they are. As, so, a, as a devout Beatles fan, I have to say... The White Album is not perfect, even though it is my actual favorite Beatles album. That album has a bunch of mess on there, man. Like that, But that's part of the reason it works so well. It's because they were trying so much stuff. The White Album is like a giant expanse of the Beatles just throwing all the shit they could at the wall and seeing what they came up with. Nevermind, on the other hand, is Nirvana being told to rein it in. Take what you do, take the sound that you have, and turn it down to like 7 or 8 instead of 11. Like, it's, it's part and parcel. They're completely different things. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm just saying, as a, as a huge fan of both of those bands, the comparison is not apt. Maybe the Black Album is. That, that's probably more fair. Because that's certainly what happened with that situation for Metallica. But not, not in this case with the Beatles. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and then the other thing I was going to say is that I may be coming... I may be a victim of exposure. So my opinion may just be jaded by the fact that I got into this so late in the game and I got into it to a point where it was like, even if I had the chance to identify with any song emotionally, if I was, it, it, you know, there's that old Jim Gaffigan joke. Hey, you want to talk about heat? You know what I mean? Like, no, it, it, no one cared by the time that I could have had a chance to care. So I come to it with like a little bit of like, you know, at the time I was getting into this, you know, like my favorite band at the time was Slipknot, you know? So it's, I, I come from like, Super angry, super fast, super uh, uh, over musically involved, you know, nine instruments and stuff. So having coming from that, I may I'm willing to say that I'm I might be a little jaded on this subject matter, specifically this album. Roger. And I've debated. See, the thing is, is that I've debated with, uh, you know, for our several colleagues of ours, including uh, Ray about uh the reason why I mentioned his name is because I, him and I have gone back and forth between In Utero and Nevermind. And every so often, I'll go back and listen to Nevermind its entirety because it was one of the first albums, uh, Green Day, Dookie, and Skull Temple Pilots, um, the Purple album, are the first three albums I ever listened to. I loved every track of it. And the thing about Nevermind to me was, that stood out, was it, it had a good flow to it. And I don't really think about... And I, not even now. I don't think about production value. And I watched a, uh, I watched a behind the scene thing where Butch Vig had talked about how Kurt Cobain um, doubled his voice and all that stuff. I don't really care about that. That to me, the, the production stuff and all that. The point you guys were making about, like for example, I do like. I'm not gonna lie. I do like "Come As You Are," the better version of "Unplugged." The "Unplugged" version is far superior than the one on on "Nevermind." But "Nevermind" has such a flow to it. And I listen to it now, and I, I listen to it when I, in the, you know, in the my brother's tape player, sitting outside his house or sitting outside of our mom's thing. And it's not even a sentimental thing. I have no emotional track, no emotional value to these songs whatsoever. I just enjoy how it sounds and how it flows together on side A to side B. Um, Territorial Pissings is one of my favorite songs. Well, yeah, we didn't even get to mention that. that's a great. Song. Yeah, that's a great song. 
Um, Polly wants a cracker, and then you find out 20 years later exactly what it's about. You're like, wow. And you don't even think about that kind of stuff. Um, but there is that song, and even um, the second the, the second track, uh, um, draw a blank. Uh, what, on Nevermind? Yeah. In Bloom? In Bloom. In Bloom. In Bloom, you know, everybody loves the video and everything, but the way that the song begins after you, 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 know, you hear it smell like Teen Spirits, like that, it just change the pace for me i think they're, they're like again everyone will talk about how utero is better than never mind and, and as i get older i understand where they're coming from with that comparison but never mind has some really good deep stuff to it and i just thoroughly enjoy the album because it's just it goes from it goes you know it got to that you know the little acoustic side with you know it, it comes slows down and something in the way is a great song you got the violins playing and it, it just goes all over the 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 map, but it comes back, you know, and just seals itself up nicely. So that, to me, I, you know, I understand why people would sit there and say, well, there's other better versions of the song. Yes. Uh, again, come as you are, better unplugged. But it shows also the band's versatility, um, and that's with Pat Smear coming on, which we'll talk about a little later. But, again, I, I don't know. I really, that's, uh, thoroughly, it's a really good album, and I don't go in heavy and about production value of things because which veg is a good producer and he and it shows no, he was, and, he it, was, he and, is. and it shows his range there too but I, I don't know i i just say it's just like it's just a, it's one of those things that i just cannot it's, it just comes together nicely i think butch vig gets too much blame for you know the what nirvana or what nevermind end up like sounding like but it has to be some of the blame has to be put there though because he really did he really was tasked with trying to make this band a big deal. David and he did yeah. exactly what he was supposed to do. He produced an album of hits, and it sounded like hits, and they were all hits. Like, that was what Butch Vig's job was. But, in, you know, if we're we're taking this divorce now from being in 1991, and it doesn't, personally for me, it doesn't hold up the same as the rest of the as the rest of the band's output. Uh, well, I will agree with you, but let me ask you guys both this question. I'm gonna, uh, I'll ask all three of you this question. David Geffen has been, you know, notoriously known to be as, I mean, Rufus is a, is a record owner and what have you. Do you think, that, I mean, the marching orders coming home from Butch Vig, who was sitting in Milwaukee, and at the time, wasn't really, I mean, wasn't Butch Vig just kind of like, just another studio guy they just used, essentially? He wasn't like, Yeah. So my question, to, my, my question to you three is, I'll start with Lacey on this, in terms of production, in terms of, as a producer... The, was he one of the first ones you guys remember out like that was, comes to mind that came out was like that was res- like started getting responsibility for sound because I feel like he's the only one. No one talks about the producer of other albums that you're you're a fan of. It just seems like he's the one that gets a lot uh, unnecessarily blamed way too much. And there's a reason for that. Lacey, go ahead and answer this, but I have a I have an answer I, for that. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I still don't really pay attention to, too much to like producers of albums and stuff like that. I'm just not a listener that does that. I mean, if I if I'm listening to an album that I think is really great and um and I read up on it or something and they mention the producer and I start seeing a name like repeated over and over again then it starts to stick with me in my head but I've never like read about a forthcoming album and been like oh my god it's being produced by this person I'm I am jazzed like I just don't I just don't really look that much into it you know yeah so it's it's just not something that's on my radar Jason production I am exactly the same as lazy it's one of those things where if I hear it and I don't like it, I'm I'm just gonna go. I don't like that. I'm not gonna go. 
oh, let me get out my notepad here and write down Steve Johnson made an album that I didn't like the sound of. I've just never... Uh, I've never been willing to blame a producer enough to hold it against him for future productions. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know where this came from that he just suddenly came in the forelight about that. Okay. I do. <laughs> um, I will say, and this is definitely... This definitely Story works. Time. Yeah, yeah. If you, everybody gather around. Oh, I could, I could have, I could have yeah. both of them sit on my fucking knee right now if they really wanted to go that far. Um, and I'll be on your knee in spirit. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Now my leg is broken. Um, in sp- <laughs> in spirit, my spiritual leg. So the reason that we're even talking about Butch Vig, I mean, aside from the fact that I put this together and I'm a super nerd, the reason we're talking about Butch Vig is because the bands. The band's sound was be argued forever after this album came out and continues to be to this day because of their importance and their influence on bands going forward. There are bands that would be able to say Nevermind is their favorite album and they and it shows because they reproduce that sound. There are other people that will say like, "Oh, well, Incesticide is like my favorite album because it's all these weird B-sides and it's all these cover songs." Like but they're all completely night and day different from the way Nevermind comes together because the producer's work is important enough to be to merit, you know, like to merit uh, recognition. But it wasn't at this time for a lot of this type of rock. Like there were guys, you know, like in the 70s and in the 80s, like there's names of producers we all know, Rick Rubens, Bob Rocks, like guys that were hardcore, you know, rock and empresarios you know for decades and decades butch vig is not that guy but butch vig became that guy because of this album like butch vig got a whole lot of rock production going on after this he produced albums for bush he produced albums for his own band garbage all like rapidly right after the release of nevermind like butch vig became a name in rock production on the strength of this album so it goes it kind of goes to the credit of the band for as much making butch vig as butch vig helps you make this band and i think that's important like the the influence of Nirvana stretching past just what they sounded like and also into the realm of what they actually accomplished for everybody involved. Like, you know, <clears throat> record labels went out of their way to sound to sign bands that sounded like Nirvana, you know, and other bands tried to ape that kind of sound. Like, bands from other countries started becoming popular, your silver chairs, yeah. and bands in that vein that all have, that all owe a debt of gratitude to A, the production of this album, and Butch Vig, and B, the content of this album by Nirvana. Whether or not it came out the way they intended to sound, that's a different story, but we talk about the production of this album because it's actually kind of important in the grand scheme of the band. Jason, you have something to say? I want to yeah, big time, because you, you really hit a, a note that uh, kind of resonated with me. It is more, this is this is literally one of the first albums that I can remember, and you'll probably prove me wrong on it, but the first, this is one of the first albums I can remember where content was not as important as release like it didn't matter like uh, like this is one of those albums that everybody everybody i know that like knows music to any extent case in point everybody in this room myself excluded knows this album is the worst of their three major releases i don't know if i'd say worst though that that makes that's that seems like it's doing like it's downgrading the album to something unlistenable i don't think it's worst or best it's lesser than the stuff that would come after it. No, no, no. But only from a sound point stance. Like, I love this album. I think these songs are great. I just don't listen to it as much because I don't like the way it sounds as an album. But that's me personally because I've listened to it eight trillion times. Right, but this is one of those situations where, despite the fact that it sounds like garbage, it's so like crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, 
we're looking at this is my exact problem with Nirvana. It's not about content anymore. But it it's is. More we just, didn't know it sounded like garbage. It sounded like a rock record. That's exactly still, how it was supposed to sound. I would still argue that it does not sound like garbage. Right. Garbage is pretty that's a pretty strong word to use. What what I what I feel is comes out in Nevermind that or does right. rather what I feel doesn't come out in Nevermind is the fact that this is not a record that you can go back and listen to that has the same power and the same it doesn't it doesn't translate Nirvana as much as say like Bleach or In Utero or even Unplugged which is a great example of Nirvana even though it's them playing acoustic instruments it's just not it's just not it doesn't have it doesn't have the feeling to it. It doesn't have the feeling to it. No, like that's what's missing. Albums. That that is definitely it's mis- what's missing. It's missing. It's missing the the punch. It's missing the feeling. You listen to that album. When I turn on Nevermind now, if I go home and listen to it, it will produce a feeling to me. But it's a feeling of almost nostalgia a little bit, even if it's taking me back and I'm not really enjoying the songs. It's mostly a nostalgic thing now. If I listen to like Bleach or In Utero or Unplugged, like that, those records, like you can you can feel what Nirvana wanted you to feel with those songs. With Nevermind, it just kind of falls flat. So that's what I think the that's what I think the issue is with Nevermind. I don't think it's a bad album. It's totally listenable. It's not garbage. It's not trash. It doesn't have a shitty production quality by any means, I don't think. You know. So that's that's just you know, it is what it is. Go ahead, man. I think I think it uh it to me is like uh it's a product. It's 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 taking what uh what could be what could have been them in, in their they're they're in their prime at this point they're like they've got the money now they're able to tour they didn't have that when they released the album they released the album and got all of those things it doesn't it doesn't go the other it, way like not then this is the early 90s you're not rich before you release your big album you just are just, there this is one of those albums i can go to and it feels like cold and distant and plastic but that but that's not that's not an indictment of the content of the album. That's the whole thing. That's the argument I'm making. The production of the album makes it seem plastic. The content of the songs is what sold the album. Because people would have just bought it and heard it and thought it was trash and then not kept buying it. But it went bajillion times platinum on the strength of it being good, not just being different. It was a different sound, yes, but it was a good sound. So just because, you know, going forward, they would make more interesting songs and what we would come to find out is their sound... Because Nevermind doesn't actually sound like the Nirvana that we all now know was Nirvana, it gets it gets lumped into this category of being like a lesser album, and it's not. It just doesn't sound the same, which to me makes it my least favorite one to listen to, but not because I don't love those songs, because I do. I love those songs fiercely. I defend those songs. I will fight for those songs. I can hear you fighting for those yeah. songs. Yeah, well, I'm fighting a little too hard. We should probably move along. We spent a long time talking about Nevermind. Butch Vig somewhere is probably smiling, real happy. So we're going to go oh, forward he, here. He's heavy um, right now. What's that? I said, oh, he's breathing heavy right now. <laughs> um, before we get into In Utero, though, I, I want to take a minute to recognize uh, Incesticide because I, it's, it's what I think doesn't get enough credit for being as good as it is. Um, Incesticide is released you know, as kind of a cash grab by Geffen to get some money in between album releases, and that's... 
that's no stranger to the recording industry. This happens with literally every band that has ever existed. And that's not Nirvana's fault. Nirvana had very little say over what was included on this set. But I think that might end up being a good thing because the songs they did choose to put on it are all awesome songs. Aneurysm is on here, which is arguably my favorite Nirvana song. It's a spectacular song. Sliver is on there. Uh, oh, man, I'm just going to drop all the songs that I know are on that album right now. It's, it's covers and B-sides, so it's not like a lot of stuff that would be super popular if you didn't go out of your way to try to find the stuff, you know, on that album. But uh, Been a Sun, also on there, great song. Like, there's, there's a lot of excellent material on there, and I would urge anybody that hasn't listened to it in a while or has never heard it at all to go listen to that because that's a Nirvana in-between sound. Like, the, the sound of Nirvana, never mind Nirvana, is present in some of the production of the songs because they were taken from sessions of the recording of Nevermind, Aneurysm particularly. But even Aneurysm sounds divorced from that album because it was it was done in different sessions that wouldn't end up on the album. That's why it was not included. Right, why it wasn't included. So, you know, the everything that doesn't make it to ne to Nevermind is better than the stuff that they that they kept on Nevermind as le as far as the sound quality is concerned. But it's got a lot of great songs on there. It's it's a sentimental favorite of mine. Personally, it might be my favorite of Nirvana collections. I listen to it more than pretty much everything else. But I just want to take a couple minutes to recognize Incesticide for being awesome. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to say about it? I don't know how people feel about aneurysm. Pretty great song. No, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's one I would say it's worth a listen. I I always enjoyed it. So even and it was one of those things back when I was like twelve or thirteen years old that it was fun to discover, you know, and say, Ooh, what's this? A whole a whole new record of things yeah. so yeah it's it's worth a listen i'd say if you're interested i sort of had a similar reaction to the, my same reaction to all the other albums it's just kind of meh man again it's one of those things where victim of time you know i was late to the game and so i'm just kind of detached so it just kind of feels to me like a hodgepodge of uh different ideas thrown onto one disc and it kind of was that's the thing it, but i think that in in being released though it at least gave people an opportunity to hear more of the sound that would be it be emblematic of the way the band actually sounded because it's not never mind nirvana it's it's just nirvana this is the way nirvana was supposed to sound like those songs the collection of the songs that they wrote on there that are original songs are all excellent excellent observations of the band as a band like as a songwriting unit Kurt's got, you know, really great lyrics for songs like Been a Sun and Sliver is a really catchy tune. Aneurysm's a really great song. Like, these songs are all great songs as pop songs, but they're just decorated in a rock fashion. And that's, you know, that's the strength of this band that doesn't get heralded enough. Like, that's part of the reason that I think you might not like it as much is because it's actually pop music disguised as, like, grunge rock. And that's part of the reason I think this band is so great. They did both. They could do both. But we'll get to that coming in after In Utero, which we have to talk about since we've all been talking about it. And it is considered widely now, you know, with all the time, like I said, has passed, to be the best Nirvana album for reasons, you know, everybody has their own reasons. Uh, personally, I have a lot of sentimental attachment to this album. It is something I listen to constantly when I got it, a copy of it. Uh, I know every word of every song, backwards and forwards. It's, it's kind of like a must-listen. I still listen to this album at least once a year, like all the way through uninterrupted. It's kind of like, it's kind of perfect in my estimation, but you know, I don't know if anybody else feels that strongly about it, but I certainly do. You know, what's funny about <clears throat> this album, by the way, and 
if you if you are familiar with the all music website, it's one of the few albums that has like the perfect five star rating, not some cheap Rolling Stone five star thing. When this album came out originally, when I first got it, I did not care for it. I uh, I this came when it first came out in ninety three, and this is around the time I was getting into like I was going through a weird phase of my life with music, but. I didn't care for it. I, You're not I, alone. A lot of people did not like this album. Okay, so I'm not okay, so I'm not so weird because then. Because it was a big departure from what they knew. Yeah. A huge departure from Nevermind. And the part of the reason for that was the production of this album, but I'll get into that in a second. Um so I but then I took a second gander of this list and probably towards my senior year tour and probably towards like the right out of high school. It was actually around the time that when I was living with a couple of buddies of mine that I took a second listen to and I really started really kind of understanding why people thought this album was so was better than uh, Nevermind. Um, Radio Shifter, another one, Radio Friendly Shifter Unit is one of those songs that's another B-song classic. Like, um, you go from that, Francis Will Have Her Revenge, um, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, Penny Royalty, great song. Um, this is an album that, I, I don't know why, and again, Dave, it's, it's, and, and I, it's you're right, it's appreciation for it later on in life and maybe because i still have that what i think is the better album or why people think this is the better album i get i totally get it and they went in a different direction producer wise too because they didn't want to have that polished sound again documentary crazy sometimes i have to separate that when i watch these things but yeah um well they're bringing steve albini who is yeah. like a pretty bare bones no nonsense producer guy he's gonna do this shit as fast as possible and as, law, as live and as raw as possible. There's mics everywhere. He just wants to catch the energy of the room, get the band in there, let them play the instruments, and we'll hammer some songs out. And that is a huge, huge benefit to the sound of this album. Yeah, especially the first track off the album where you can hear that that kind of feedback and it just kicks yeah. off. Yeah, serve and the servants. And I can say with Serve the Servants too, and this, this to me, this album is Kurt Cobain as a lyricist, like my favorite one. Oh yeah, he steps, like, he steps it all, way up. All the s- lyrics on this album, like the first opening line in Serve the Servants, uh, what is it? Teenage, Teenage Angst has, has paid, paid off, off well, well. now yeah. I'm bored and old. And it's just like, now you know, like the tone is set for this album. Like, okay, you're not fucking around. You're acknowledging what's happened with Nevermind. Let's, let, let's go on this adventure. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I love this album. This is by far my favorite Nirvana album. It was back when I got it. It immediately became my favorite. I love that song, Serve the Servants. I love all the songs on this album. And this, I mean, if, if ever there could be a case made for Nirvana being one of the greatest rock bands and sway me into saying that they're underrated or fairly rated, it is this fucking album alone because I do love it. Jason, how much do you hate this album? I don't hate it. It's uh, <laughs> I'm busting your balls, man. I'm sorry. No, I mean, it, again, it's 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 just another victim of detachment because uh, it actually has two of my favorite songs, which one of them is a huge single with "Heart Shaped Box." I always love that song. Great for song. Some and then "Penny Royalty" was the third song I ever learned to play, and so the, again, attachment just to more nostalgia than anything. But uh, one thing they do on this album that they didn't do on Nevermind, which was, uh, in my opinion, to Nevermind's credit, there's a lot of uh, slow in and slow outs on this album. 
you know, where uh, Roger spoke of the feedback, but he spoke of it positively, and I respect his opinion, but I massively disagree. Yeah, I see, that, and, and that is that is part of the reason that people hated this album so much upon release. It was a, it was a big chasm divide between people that really, really enjoyed the, you know, the authenticity, quote-unquote, or the, you know, the seemingly live takes of the songs that were recorded, people that preferred that, to the people that said, well, why does it sound all staticky? That's unpleasant. So, you know, I get both sides. Go ahead. Hold on. Hold on one second. That's unfair to what I was trying to say, because I do like Bleach. Like Floyd the Barber, which has a shitload of feedback, is one of my is my favorite Nirvana song. But it's like almost every song on this album has that feedback fade out where they just let a song fade to nothing with Kurt just kind of screaming in the background. And that is like one of my personal big pet peeves, because the content of each song in between these fade in and fade outs is really good. Obviously, I mean, there's. There's so much there for me to like really dig my teeth into. Like this was the album I actually enjoyed listening to the most. This was the album that between the month ago when we we st- we were going to do this recording and today, this was the one album I went back to a couple of times because the content between the beginning and ending of each song is phenomenal. And I will say that I'm not I'm not completely against Nirvana on this. It's just I have a huge beef with with Fade In and Fade Outs with a lot of feedback. That's just a personal thing though. Right. And, and, you know, again, that is, but you're not alone. You know, it was a, a big divide. The, the record execs at Geffen, when they were given tapes of the recording sessions, like asked them to re-record it because they said the material they had was unlistenable. Like this was not palatable to the people that wanted them to make another Nevermind. It was not anything anybody wanted to do except Nirvana, which is part of the reason I think this album is so great. It feels genuinely like the band that we were supposed to have the whole time and they were ma- like they were masquerading as a different band but the content is similar you know the songs are still pretty well constructed pop songs with a good rock bent there's a lot of great guitar you know kurt kurt i'm never putting kurt on like the 50 best guitarist ever but you know he's he's not terrible he's not so horrible that he shouldn't be mentioned as a competent guitar player he was good and then you had session guys like Pat Smear come in, like Roger had mentioned earlier, and there's a whole oh, lot of there's a whole lot of good names on this album. There's a lot of people contributing to it, all for the better of the album. You saying something? No, yeah, because the guitar aspect. I mean, you're just. I mean, this has always what been one of my problems with Nirvana is that objectively, Kurt is a terrible guitarist. Kurt That's is not fair. No. That's not fair. He's, he's not, not terrible. He's openly said he's not, and he's, that, I but think that, he's that, only I would openly say that I am like not great at a lot of things I actually think I'm great at. I just don't want to sound like a prick. I don't think that Kurt Cobain is by any stretch of the imagination, or was by any stretch of the imagination, a great guitar player. But I think you also have to recognize that every one of their songs... He's never really overly ambitious with the guitar. No, I mean, the songs are put together well in such a manner that they don't have to have like a face-melting solo in the middle of it. And I think that's to his credit. And he, that's the, he does yeah, that well. No, it's 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 meant to to sound pleasing while still being simple and playable for him as a guitar player. Because, <clears throat> like I said, <clears throat> I thought that Kurt Cobain's top-notch thing was as as a lyricist i mean that i i always love nirvana's lyrics because they're they're bizarre poetry to me they're they're weird poetry a lot of it is cryptic you don't really know what it's talking about sometimes it almost borderline nonsense and maybe it is but it's still fun as hell 
And that's that's what I think is good about Kurt Cobain. I mean, I don't think he's a great guitar player at all. I mean, if, I don't think anybody would argue that Dave Kroll is a fucking stellar musician and nobody really ever knew when he was in Nirvana. I mean, they just thought he was like a pretty damn good drummer, but then he turns out he's this total fucking powerhouse. Right. So, you know, I don't I don't think you can say though that Kurt Cobain was a shit guitar player, a terrible guitar player. I mean, player. you can say it. I mean, you can say it, but I don't think it's fair. I just don't think it's it's fair. So, nothing I say is fair today, huh? Are we doing that again? Do Come, that on. Again. Come, Come on. Come on. <laughs> no, because I think that it, even within his own genre, there's there's far superior skilled. He was skilled at knowing how to complement his own work, which is his best skill. And that's but not I, something that can be underrated. I mean, like that's important. I'm not, I'm not underrating that. I'm just saying, as an objectively, as objective, uh, as objectively, uh, as a guitar player, as a guitar player, objectively, he's not great. He's just not. He's. I don't think at, he's great. I don't think he's a great guitar player. But he's a competent musician and an excellent lyricist, and he does that. He does that to the capacity of the band. Like he he leads the band up to where his songs need to be without ever having to overstep it because he wasn't trying to be a great guitar player. And I think that is definitely to his credit. I would be willing to believe that if music were to continue from Kurt Cobain, he would have improved as a musician. But since he did not, we have what we have on tape and it's all pretty great in its own way. Is it spectacular workmanship? No. Does it work to the benefit of the songs? Absolutely. But I mean, in terms of even like a, as a musician, he was still relatively new to the game. I mean, he he started also true, yeah, yeah. Didn't even mention that, yeah. yeah. I mean, he he started off a little later in his life in it. I mean, he was kind of art, he was an artist that went into music, and so I think for where he was in his career, um, I think he kind of of course he didn't ex, you know expect all the fame and all that stuff. But I mean, that aside, as a musician, he knew he was doing. I mean, he was get he got better. Even in terms of lyrical, his, his lyrics and even stretch, which we'll get to unplugged in a second, but I think he knew he had to expand horizons if he wanted to get the sound he really wanted. For sure. No, I it, just think it, I just I, I was just saying more specifically guitar because it. I mean, it goes without saying that the man knew one hundred percent knew, and it was arguably better than any of his contemporaries at complementing his own songwriting with his guitar playing because it never it. The guitar is never the focus of any of his songs. Right. They, I mean, it was it was through Nevermind, but that's, again, part of the reason it gets a lot of shit, because the yeah. guitar historically is the most important part of a, of a rock band, quote-unquote, aside from, like, a front man. So, you know, they brought that to the forefront, and it kind of suffers for that. But that's... When they play those songs live, it definitely... Part of the reason they're so sped up, again, mostly because they didn't want to play some of those songs, but also because that's the style that they were supposed to play in. Like, you know... Come as you are is supposed to go a little quicker than it shows up on. Never mind. It just it just sounds better when you speed some of those songs up because that's the kind of style Kurt was used to playing with, and that shows up on In Utero like a lot. Part of the reason you know so many of those songs come in under like three minutes is because they just want to get them done. They're like we're in the moment, we're catching it perfect. That's how it's supposed to sound, you know. But that's I'm getting we're getting nitpicky, and that's not really what we're here for. LOL. That's a joke. Um, so moving ahead then to the last real piece of, unfortunately, what we have to dissect is the classic, uh, MTV Unplugged New York. Uh, it was released on MTV a month after it was recorded. So December, 1993, it wouldn't be released as an album until posthumously after Kurt's death. But, you know, for the people, the people that were there to watch the performance as it aired, I was one of them. Uh, it was, it was trans 
transformative. <laughs> like, if I could use the word lightly. Like, it's... I can talk about my favorite albums and it's in utero if we're saying, like, oh, original material. But as a performance encapsulated forever in time, I have the utmost sentimental attachment to Unplugged in New York. It is... It is... To, to me, it is the closest thing to perfect a show or a concert will ever sound, in my estimation. And we've talked a lot about nostalgia. We've all said, like, oh, I learned to play this on drums, and I learned to play this on bass. Like, this is all important because I think this is also a benefit of the band, that we can have nostalgic ties to a band that hasn't released any material in over 25 years, but the feeling is still so palpable that we can remember that. And that's how I feel about Unplugged. Like, I can hear it playing in my head right now without actually having to hear it because it's that near to me at all times. It's flawless. I'll talk a little, we'll get further into it, but any, any initial, any initial reactions to Unplugged? I like this Unplugged. Is the, I'll um, argue with you guys. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, I was just going to, I was going to let you go, but I did want to just say this is the one album I won't argue with you guys at all in any way on. And you know what? I, I really like Unplugged. I do. And I, I, I was thinking about it the other day, and I actually I wish Unplugged was like a thing, like it was. Still, yeah, yeah. I, I do too. I've thought, like I, but then I saw like Florence and the Machine did. Yeah, Unplugged, they still do so them. They like, just don't. But they do don't them release them big. wide. Yeah. And they don't put them out. Like they don't release them on CDs. And, and I stuff. feel like they should be because they've done some great ones. Yeah, like, there are a lot of good ones. I have Bjorks because yeah. because of course I do. No, and, I know. Uh, like there's a lot of. I really love Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains is very good. Yeah. It's, I really love that. If one. I if I ever want to like Alice in Chains, I will listen to their unplugged performance. It is very great. Yeah. I'm not gonna undersell it. Jason, you've had a hand up. It's sad that the last big one was like corn. Yeah. Oh my god. And you know I what? It's corn. not even that bad. Oh, I haven't listened and to I it. I actually might that. listen. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm gonna have to listen to that. Yeah. Now. Unplugged just kind of works. Yeah. Like as a yeah. format, it's just kind of interesting enough to always uh, be good. I'm actually kind of sad he didn't slow down his beatboxing for it. <laughs> right. That would have been hilarious but to some me. Some of but the anyway. best ones are from ones you don't expect. Yeah. LL Cool J's Unplugged is like the third best unplugged ever. Yes. Oh. LL Cool J's Unplugged. Uh-huh. It is spectacular. Seek it out. Seek it out. It is that good. Roger and I are just going to be listening to fucking Unplugged for yeah. like... <laughs> I'm going to hear Unplugged Sorry. version I'll go back to Cali. Yeah, yeah. Man. Totally worth it. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Mama <laughs> said knock you out. Um, no, so... But yeah, I love this record. Um, it was another one that I got... I think I had it on cassette, you know, for, mm. for a long time. And that... That'll force you when when you're listening to something on cassette. It's a little bit harder to skip a track. So for sure, yeah, uh, yeah, that'll force you to to learn how to how to love a record. So yeah, I definitely, I def this that album definitely elicits a feeling for me, and it, it, I love it. I do. I love it. It's not my favorite unplugged, but I love it. I, the, where did you sleep last night? Shows the light, the raw emotion, especially when he pauses and just goes, <sighs> yeah, to, to get, get that, to get that breath, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can hear the breath. Yeah. yeah, and just and like it just it's haunting. It's and it's haunting that because, um, not haunting because he uh, what should we call it? Um, has anything to do with the fact that hand in depth. It's just the song sounds haunting. Um, I love the version of Come As You Are. I t- talked about that earlier. That was the first time I ever heard. Um, the David Bowie song. Um, man Who Sold the yeah, World. Yeah, man. First time I ever heard That's, that song. The, the most interesting thing about this album I've always found is that they chose 
as a band to perform almost entirely covers. Like the whole yeah. set has what five original songs, I think, yeah. of like the entire the entire thing. But covers from bands all over the place. The Meat Puppets, David yeah. Bowie, yeah. you know, like uh oh now I'm blanking, Lead but Bell. the Lead Belly, yeah, yeah, like they're they're taking all of their musical inspirations and putting them bare laid out for everybody to be able to hear them and it's proving like beyond a shadow of a doubt we can say whether or not they're underrated or overrated that's fine but the thing that we found out with unplugged is that that's actually a band that's got a lot of talent like yeah kurt cobain was far more than just some voice wailing behind guitars like kurt cobain was a was a artist like he was he had the voice of a fucking angel and who knew you know what i mean like it's it's not on display for a whole lot of a whole lot of the material before this but this is like raw this is real emotion coming through in some of these songs and it's coming from a place that i didn't even know this band existed like that they had you and, you, and you hear david Grohl quite a bit in here doing the backup backup vocals and you hear more of his voice in here than you do in anything else so absolutely this is one of the uh the two discs of nirvana that i owned from like 03 to 2012 or something got lost in one of the moves it was this and the third disc of uh with the lights out that box set that came out in like 08 or 09 or something yeah maybe, maybe earlier but uh it, those two in particular were always two that i i i could always go to specifically man who sold the world like when we started talking about this i just in my head i just heard na 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 yeah like, that's that always plays in my head. It's such a great album. Where did you sleep last night? Was the first song I ever played, like on a venue. Like it, it's, it, I, I identify with this album more than any because to me, this one feels like, like the Nirvana we didn't get. Exactly, and that that is exactly what I was going to say about it. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say, Jason. And it's funny because I'm I'm you know. I said I think Nirvana is overrated, but I feel like I'm trying to sway Jason here. But the thing is, is that, that a live performance right there that you listen to from beginning to end, them just sitting there with their instruments in front of a small audience, that is Nirvana. Not what you hear on Nevermind, which is them recording, you know, riffs over and over and over again until they get the sound that their producer wants or the sound, what sounds best, and then cobbling it together, which, like Dave said, great songs, not the best recordings of them. When you hear Unplugged, like that power and emotion and like feeling that you get from those songs, like that is Nirvana. So I think. That's why I was kind of, you know, resisting when you said that if you have to seek out better versions than what's on the studio, like you listen to a lot of rock bands and you know just as well as any of us that most of the time bands don't put out their best. They don't put out they don't do their best in a studio. And I think that's a lot of what, you know, with Nirvana, that's one of the things when you when you ended it with unplugged especially since it was released after kurt cobain's death and for a lot of us myself included didn't actually hear it until after he was dead that's when you listen to it and you go wow what else could they have made you know like what else could what else could they have done like what avenues did we just not get that we thought you know we thought they were just this garage rock band playing crazy like you know power chords and smashing on some drums but then you hear that unplugged performance and you're like holy shit this is a band that that had a lot more to offer that we never got to see and they put, and they put bands out there like meat puppets and lead belly out there 
and you didn't realize how influenced they were by the other influences. And that, to me, I think that that's what kind of, like, the secret of, like, that band was, is that I think... It, it, and I'm not trying to sound, like, super, like... Like, there's double meaning behind it or anything, but I think sometimes those guys really had it all figured out in terms of what they wanted musically, and the way they kept everybody guessing, I mean, that's where they showed their range right there. And Pat Smear, again, cannot underestimate him as a guitarist on that and on that album and later on with the Foo Fighters, but Pat Smear really helped give that give another another guitar in there and it was much needed and it, it really showed in the performance. Jason, any Jason. any closing thoughts on the album? Well, yeah, yeah, it's actually it's because this album is so great that I, I skewed overrated because I have to look at their 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 catalog as a whole when I'm rating them as a band. And if only one of the albums to me resonates emotionally, I have to say overrated specifically because of the fact that we, we didn't get to see what, quote unquote, they truly were. We all agree this is what they truly were and what they could have been. But because we never got to see it, I can't rate it. So objectively, objectively divorcing your opinion, because those are two different things. We, I mean, uh, presumably, objectively, Nirvana isn't one of the best rock bands ever. You can't say that. Uh, I can't answer that question. Then I think then I think you'd at least have to say they're fairly rated. I mean, I, if you can't say that objectively, you can't say they're overrated. Like that just doesn't that doesn't line up. Well, I don't know. I guess it's because it's, it's kind of uh, in like Nirvana, which we're talking about twenty years. You know, for all intents and purposes, posthumously, what would define fairly rated? Because they're vaunted to God status. And I just don't think they belong. They've been brought, they've been brought back, though. They've been brought back in recent years to more of a less of a god status and more of a recognized for their contributions to rock and what that meant and for the for the endless amount of material that we were denied. Like that's the only thing that ever propelled them to god status in the first place was that loss, that sense of loss at the you know the possibilities of what could have been. But what is there is still emblematic of a band that was great in their time. If if Nirvana would have disbanded as opposed to Kurt dying at the same time, like they they release Unplugged and then they're just like, you know what, we're going to stop, we're going to walk away from this thing. Their imprint on the music and the culture would still have been as such that they would still be regarded as one of the best bands ever. They still would be. The Rolling Stones are regarded as one of the greatest bands of all time. They haven't made a great album in 30 years. No one No, no one says that the Rolling Stones suck because they haven't put out a great album since they put out like their last great album. They get legacy status. Nirvana gets legacy status for not only doing it in two years, like all things being considered, from like 1991 to 1993, they get the legacy status because the music holds up. It's actually still that good. So the only reason I would even try to tell anybody that they're underrated, and make no mistake, this episode for me was not even about trying to change anyone's real opinion. I had to voice my own though. I had to tell everybody that I think Nirvana needs a second chance to be credited for what it is they accomplished in such a short time against the odds they had and with the, you know, with the talent they had on hand. What they did was nothing short of spectacular, and I just wanted to recognize it as such. So if we're, if we're going to wrap up, you know, like I said, I, I can't define them as anything other than underrated. I think they're... They're forgotten now in a mass in a mass of music that's come since then that, you know, 
as Jason touched on, is some of it very regrettable and some of it easily traced back to Nirvana. I understand and I appreciate all of that. But for what the band managed to accomplish in such a short amount of time and, you know, for it to endure all the way until now, over 25 years since the release of Nevermind, like, none of that can be, that can't just, it just can't be underrated. Like, I, I think this band is spectacular and always will be. Um, I, you know, I think I still hold the opinion that Nirvana is overrated. And that's not to say that I don't think they're important. And that's not to say that I don't love them and I don't appreciate what is out there. I, I just, I mean, I'm just going to repeat myself what I said in the beginning that I think when most people discuss Nirvana or when Nirvana is looked back on, um, in music history, I just think, I just think that they were well-timed. I think there's a lot of great bands out there that put out great music that could almost be considered comparable that we will never talk about in the future because they just, they just weren't as well-timed. So that's just the way I think of Nirvana. I think they're a great band. I have the utmost respect for them. I don't love some of their stuff, but I do love going back to some of the other stuff. So that's just the way I feel about Nirvana. I, I, I just can't, I can't sway on this one. I still think that Nirvana's overrated. Jason? I, I'm going to stick with overrated too, specifically because, I, I mean, for lack of better terms, if you, like, okay, we'll take another icon that is, I'm just going to use the Beatles as a reference, Dave, so don't take this as an indictment on the Beatles. Uh, but you, if, can't, you can't indict the Beatles of the greatest band ever. Continue. Right. This is it's perfect because if you take their catalog and you move it up to the 90s, I almost guarantee you it's still selling as well. So, right, you could do the same. You can do the same with a lot of a lot of icons in my head. The Rolling Stones, same thing. The Who, same thing. Nirvana is no, in my opinion, Nirvana is a good to great band in an era of good to great bands that excelled because they were the most marketable and the most pliable, and they also had the the credibility to back it up when they were given the chance to make an album that they wanted to make. So I'm going to stick by overrated only because I think that if they came out today, we wouldn't know who they were. I totally disagree with you, but okay. Yeah, I totally disagree this, with this, you. It's the yeah. end of the show. I don't want to start an argument at the very end, <laughs> but that's that's fine. Hey, once once we this, do on show. That, that's fine. Once this episode goes live, we'll be able to talk about it on some forums and stuff, and we'll, we can hash it out there. The great war of whether or not Nirvana could still be good could happen, but... We'll we'll try to wrap it up. So Jason's overrated. Roger, let's let's try to wrap this up. All right, real quick. Um, and that that argument about like it's it's the same argument whether if Wayne Gretzky can play in the modern day NHL. But we'll get to that. Uh, that that's, okay, yeah, yeah. Don't step on future episodes. That's, I know. I know. No, no. I'm just saying that the, the the argument whether something from the past could do something in the present. I I will never understand that argument. So I, I digress. All right, he can't defend himself. I know. Though, so let's let's not right. argue the point. I know. So I know. Just, I know. I know. What are your thoughts on Nirvana? It's they're uh, fairly too underrated, and it's because they are banned. Like I see my my son and his girlfriend, and I see his friends who like Nirvana, and I ask them, "What do you like about Nirvana?" Their songs. They like the way they sound. It doesn't sound like anything that's out now, because to them, what is out is considered to play on ENX and Riff is pretty much what was played during that period of time, and they also think that Nirvana stands out. 
Um, I think Nirvana is a is a band that if you put in now would stand out above the bands now who are pretty much doing YouTube covers or in or doing um, song all covers and 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 Nirvana at least Nirvana to me doesn't get enough credit in the sense that if you take away Kurt Cobain's death and you look at him as if well could have been what it should have been as a band as a whole. Those three albums, including even the stuff from the Money Banks, the Wishcaw, which we could probably do another 20 minutes on if we wanted to, they were a band that was a lot deeper than they, they didn't. They didn't get enough proper credit for being that deep of a band. And it shows later on David Grohl's work. So I think it's fairly too underrated. I like that you keep calling him David Grohl, too. Like, you're showing him <laughs> like the kind of proper respect using the man's full name. I've, that's very That's very respectful of you. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I will say this episode was kind of serious and that's good. You know, it can't all be like, you know, giggles all the time. This was kind of a, this was kind of a near and dear to my heart kind of thing. So I'm glad that no one made me cry by saying they hated Nirvana. Cause I probably would have, and that's okay. You're allowed to make me cry. If I allow you to, I'm starting to get a little choked up thinking about it. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, everybody. Thank you. And, uh, again, I gave it to you at the top, but we'll give it to you again. Uh, Over Under Fair on Facebook, at Over Under Fair Pod, uh, gmail.com, and you can follow us at Over Under Fair on Twitter. I am Dave Roldan, speaking for the rest of my compatriots, Lacey, Jason, Roger. Thank you for trucking it through. Uh, you know, really appreciate you guys doing this. Leave us some feedback, give us some show notes, and uh, hopefully you guys are going to follow us along. We're just getting started, going to keep on going, go play some Nirvana, try to feel good about it because I know it's sad sometimes. But yeah, love you. Bye.